it's one of the best things that I ever did with my practice, you know, neurosurgical practice was to integrate a functional training center. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very, very satisfying. I, I think, you know, my colleagues look at me, you know, my conventional neurosurgeons go, what, what's David doing? What, what's this crazy <laughs> stuff that he's doing? But you know what? They're now starting to refer patients to me. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. In this episode, I sit down with Dr. David Johnson. Dr. Johnson is a brain and spinal neurosurgeon who has a pioneering practice in Brisbane, Australia. He's also the co-owner of CrossFit Neuro, the first clinical CrossFit affiliate. Dr. Johnson combines his passion for CrossFit, Olympic weightlifting, neurosurgery, and science to deliver the fundamental message that learning to move proficiently is key to preventing movement dysfunction, which can lead to chronic back pain symptoms. Many of Dr. Johnson's patients go on to become members of his affiliate as part of their recovery process to rehab and to avoid future spine surgery. I first had the opportunity to hear about Dr. Johnson's work when he presented at the 2018 CrossFit Health Conference, and I was excited to catch up with him to learn how his practice has changed and evolved over the years and how he has created a model that is so effective. In this episode, we talk about the importance of addressing the root cause of pain rather than just treating symptoms and why other factors like sleep, nutrition, and stress management also play an important role in managing and preventing back pain. Before we dive into the episode, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. So with that, let's get started with the episode. Welcome, Dr. David Johnson. I'm so excited to have you here on the Pursuing Health podcast. And, you know, I think the first time I heard you talk about everything that you're working on was at the CrossFit Health Conference a few years ago. And what you are doing in Australia is extremely innovative and unique in terms of taking care of patients with, especially with chronic neck and back pain, and really focusing on getting to the root cause. So I'm excited to hear a lot about what you're working on, but I thought maybe we could start first with just what led you to a career in medicine and then why neurosurgery? Um, well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Pichet. Last time I met you at Madison, I don't think you'd graduated yet. Um, no. We did, cross, <laughs> we, we, we did cross paths at Madison, but um, we didn't get a chance to talk too much. But so mm-hmm. it's, I'm delighted, absolutely delighted that you're interested to hear a little bit about a little bit more about what we do here in um, in uh, little old Brisbane, Australia. Um, <laughs> as you mentioned, we did we did uh, we did talk at the CrossFit Health Summit. Um, and you were you were at that summit where you you, mm-hmm. you heard that that lecture. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a fair bit's happened since then um, with our our, uh, our our program for managing chronic spine pain. But um, to answer your question there, uh, why did I get into medicine? Uh, it's just something that I've always been interested in. I uh, I originally um, in high school I was interested in doing veterinary science. Mm, okay. And, um, yeah, and uh, and um, my mum, who's Chinese, uh, I'm I'm half English, half Chinese. My mum said, "Oh, look, you know, if you if you're gonna fix up animals, why don't you fix up humans?" <laughs> <laughs> and it, it sort of it sort of made sense to me. Oh, okay, well that that's that sort of makes a little bit of sense. Why, if mm-hmm. I if I have the opportunity to do medicine, why why don't I 
help humans. So that was sort of the trigger to um, to doing medicine. And then, um, yeah, I think moving into the, the surgery side of things, it was always something relating to that immediate fix and that immediate mm-hmm. satisfaction. Um, mm-hmm. uh, of course, um, of course, physicians do amazing things as well. But <clears throat> I think um, the, the the work of physicians, you have to be a bit more patient. And uh, <laughs> you know, as, as you educate people and 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 help people with uh, with medic medical therapy, you've got to sit back and let let the body do its thing. And um, I think I'm a little bit of an impulsive type of person. And um, uh, surgery was just surgery sort of gave me that outlet to sort of fix someone in the, in that in that sense of the word fix mm-hmm. the structural problem you know in a couple of hours and mm-hmm. and the next day you do your ward rounds and see them up and about and um and happy you know and, and uh, particularly in neurosurgery uh, things life-threatening conditions such as extracurial yeah. hematomas and intracranial bleeds where they come in and they're you know almost almost about to die and the next morning you can see them and have a good old cup of tea with them so that was what was that was what was very appealing about neurosurgery um Mm -hmm. and then and then um spine surgery was a a move not premeditated but really because it was just such a problem um Mm -hmm. i would do a neurosurgery clinic you know maybe 20 patients uh in a in a standard afternoon clinic in the public hospital and uh 90% of the workload was neck and back pain mm-hmm. and um and it's sort of as i matured as a as a as a specialist i think it just started to dawn on me that um the industry as a whole was not doing a very good job uh, with this condition mm-hmm. and then um as you move into private practice there's a lot more accountability for patients when they walk in the door um, to provide that service where actually I'm going to, I, I don't have the opportunity to just say, look, there's, there's nothing I can do for you. You don't need an operation on your spine. Um, but what you do need is this. And, and the industry didn't really have a standard um, to, to sort of um, redirect people to because most patients that came to see me or that still come to see me, will say I've, I've done everything i've done the the core strengthening i've done my pilates mm-hmm. i exercise every day i do yoga mm-hmm. I, I um i'm not uh, overweight um I, I eat well all of these things uh, and and i go to a a, a physical therapist twice a week mm-hmm. with multitudes of different types of physical therapy whether that be adjustments or stretching or massage um and I still got pain, and mm-hmm. I'm still needing my, and I've still got my pain medication. So, I think it really got me thinking and going back to first principles, um, which is sort of what we learn very early in a scientific career, to focus on first principles mm-hmm. and um, and try to make try to make sense of the problem. And often, when you when you go back to first principles in science, you can very quickly. Um, unravel what's perceived to be a complex problem Um, but if you don't go back to first principles then then you can be quite confused um, and mistake associations for causation which I think is the biggest 
it's the biggest mistake in medicine is is confusing association for causation mm-hmm. and therefore then and then creating an incorrect solution um, so going back to first principles with um, with spine pain you you've really got to ask you know what is what is the 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 primary uh, factor that determines joint health and and that comes down to movement Mm-hmm. Um, and the spine is just uh, a whole heap of joints stacked on top of each other. And so if, if the, uh, the primary factor that determines the health of a joint is movement, why is that not the first thing that we talk to patients about when they come to see us with musculoskeletal pain related to their joint? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's really how it all started to evolve and, serendipitously i suppose i was um i was just starting to get interested in olympic weightlifting around oh, nice. six, yeah around six years ago and um so you did that before um, you started crossfit uh it was all sort of happening together yeah, I, you okay. know i did i i, mm-hmm. I you know i was I, I was a runner and played tennis mm-hmm. and went surfing and cycling and but, but i was getting a little bit bored um and uh i was getting a little bit chubby as well mm-hmm. and um uh and and then olympic weightlifting really opened my eyes and crossfit i suppose to to biomechanics yeah. uh, the way that our body is meant to move it was it was really quite profound um watching someone lift a very heavy weight mm-hmm. uh you know much heavier than their body weight um and they may not actually be the strongest person in the room, mm-hmm. but they were the most coordinated person mm-hmm. in the room. And so that, you know, I think uh, as, a, as, a, as a doctor, as, uh, many doctors sort of aren't, um, don't have that opportunity to see, uh, see that in reality. They're sort of so focused on the, the pointy end of the spear. Right. Um, and we, we sort of drop the ball a little bit when, when, when it comes to these really yeah. simple fundamental things and, and, and weightlifting helped me with that. I think it's so interesting too, that you said, you know, you went into neurosurgery because you like to be able to really address a problem right away and sort of see the results from it. But yet mm-hmm. you have this, you, you said, unlike most, the majority of the medical community, you really took a look at a problem that you were seeing really frequently and said, let's really try to dig in and look at first principles and look at the root cause. Is that something that mm-hmm. has just been always a way that you've thought about problems or where do you think that come from or what allowed you to, to dig that deep when other people weren't? Ah, oh, look, yeah, I, I think that's, I, I, I sort of, I sort of consider myself a bit of a fundamentalist when it comes to that. Uh, and, and just having a lot of, uh, a background education in science, I suppose, you know, when mm-hmm. you do years and years of physics, biochemistry, physiology, um, you really, it makes it easier to unravel problems. Uh, mm-hmm. It makes it easier to uh, remember mechanisms and, and pathophysiology of disease when you focus on on the, the, the first principles. And um, I think that's that's something that we should all, uh, as clinicians not lose sight of when it comes mm-hmm. to disease. Um, and if you, I mean, you're a primary care physician now, right? So mm-hmm, you're, you're, you're going to see 
so much back pain. Back pain, one back of the pain. most common, yes, reasons yeah. for coming to primary care uh, doctor. A friend of mine is um, Amy West. You probably mm-hmm. know Amy. Yes, yeah, and, she's been on the podcast as well. Yep, yep. We've had we've had lots of chats, and um, and because she works in the the that um, physiatry industry, and I think mm-hmm. I think physiatry is a, a unique to the states, um, but we would probably call that musculoskeletal medicine. And um, and you know, I think time and time again, I would I would get letters from um, either primary care physicians or physiatrists uh, or physical therapists and. And um, and every every single referral would say, please see so and so with back pain. Mm-hmm. And and like when you when you hear that, it's it's sort of over and over again. You start to realise that no, none of these um, clinicians have identified a disease process mm-hmm. that's causing back pain symptoms. Mm-hmm. And and it seems like you know billions of people in, in, in a World Health Organization considers back pain to be one of the leading causes of disability on the planet, uh, and there, so there's millions or billions of people. You know, in, in Australia today, there's about three to four million people with chronic pain. We only have a population of about twenty four million, yeah. right? So there's a lot of people walking around out there with pain symptoms that have never been given a diagnosis mm-hmm. uh, so just think about that from first principles if you're trying to treat a disease and you don't have a diagnosis or if you're trying to treat symptoms and you don't have mm-hmm. a diagnosis the the likelihood is that you're going to fail mm-hmm. uh, or you or, or at best you might temporize the symptoms okay and and that's kind of like putting a band-aid on the problem mm-hmm. um the band if you haven't actually addressed what caused the the sore in the first place the band-aid is going to fall off and when the band-aid falls off the sore is going to be bigger mm-hmm. and so then you have to put a bigger band-aid on uh, with more side more, effects or more yeah, yeah exactly or, or a more potent band-aid and and, and eventually mm-hmm. that final band-aid for people becomes the surgery mm-hmm and that become it becomes the surgery and 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 it's a real misconception that people have that when they get so bad with their symptoms that they need surgery that they think that this final surgical band-aid is going to cure them and they're so disappointed and the industry itself doesn't realize that when someone has spine surgery well they do realize but they're, they're sort of not addressing it that they don't realize that when someone has surgery for back pain it's like flipping a coin it, mm-hmm. there's a 50 50 chance that you have major spinal surgery that probably costs you know fifty thousand australian dollars with bone graft and pedicle screws and, and fusion devices mm-hmm. huge prosthetic uh, revenue that there's only a 50 50 chance that it's going to work um, and and that it, that all comes back down to the fact that it's a band-aid that that hasn't addressed the underlying reason why someone's uh, in pain in the first place. Okay, so so and and all medical problems, all conditions, you know, um, if if someone comes to see you with a headache, 
you don't just say, oh, they've got headache syndrome. You go, all right, well, you've had this headache for three months now and it's getting worse and it's interfering with you. I think we better look for the diagnosis. We can't just Mm -hmm. call it a headache. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you might order a scan, you might get a brain scan or you might do some blood tests and, you know, um, address what's causing the headache. And then when you do your MRI scan, you oh, there's a meningioma in your head and it's causing swelling. And there's now you've got a diagnosis. You've got a meningioma. So mm-hmm. you, you need to treat that diagnosis with whatever it may be. And, um, and, the, and the same with back pain if, or neck pain. If we, if, we, um, if we get a diagnosis, and there usually is only, for the vast majority of people, there is really only one diagnosis for back pain, even though mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of downstream sub-diagnoses mm-hmm. that you can mm-hmm. layer on top of it. But there really is only one diagnosis. And I, and I think this is what distinguishes and what I would like to see develop globally in the industry with primary care physicians, mm-hmm. first and foremost, is giving patients a diagnosis of what, I coin, what I've coined as movement dysfunction. Yes. We, we need to get that, that top term. We need to mm-hmm. get that disease into the medical textbooks of medical students now yes. we need to get it in we need to get it into the journals because if a patient comes to see you julie and, and they say i've got i've had back pain it, it comes and goes you know maybe every year i'll get three or four bouts of of pain and um and i'll have to take some anti-inflammatory and have a mm-hmm. have a couple of days off work and then it gets better again naturally because inflammation subsides mm-hmm. um and then they go back to work but then it comes back again. You can now say to that patient, okay, uh, Mrs. Brown, you've got a disease called movement dysfunction. And if I address movement dysfunction, you, you've now um, cured her essentially. Mm-hmm. You, you've now cured her because if she gets uh, appropriate therapy from say, someone like Amy or, or, or um, who, who understands movement, Mm-hmm. There, then she's cured her problem and she won't get relapsing and remitting episodes of pain, um, which is absolutely key because every time you have a flare-up of back pain, you're, you run the risk of developing chronicity. And, and by chronicity, we mean um, you know, cr- constant pain for more than three months. Mm. Uh, and the reason Nobody wants why... to live with that. Yeah. No, it, 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 it sort of overwhelms your life it it Mm -hmm. completely destroys relationships destroys work Mm -hmm. um just takes all the quality out of your life you you sort of patients sort of think they say that they they tell me they can't play with their children they go from their day consists of when is my next Mm painkiller when is when is my next tramadol or when is my next uh anti-inflammatory because I know, I know I can only have it three times a day, but as I'm reaching that point where it's, where it's due, mm-hmm. I'm now starting to get really, really restricted. Well, and that's no way to live. So you, yeah. so after identifying that almost all of this chronic back pain is coming from movement dysfunction, can you talk about now how you are addressing movement dysfunction and how you're helping people to really um, reverse that root cause for their back pain? Well, yeah, the, the um, you know, a, a, a normal consult for me would be sort of 
45 minutes, which is a fairly long time for a specialist consult. Mm-hmm. Um, I get envious of my colleagues who say, oh, 10 minutes maximum. <laughs> because <laughs> in and out the door, I don't know how long your consults are in primary That's care. That's funny but... because ours in family medicine are really short and I'm envious of the people who have longer ones because there's never right? enough time yeah, yeah. to address all the different concerns in well, 15 minutes. It's, it's, uh, it all comes down to your secretarial staff, doesn't it? Like how much <laughs> how much time they allot for you. So I'm allotted 30 minutes mm-hmm. and um, uh, and usually I'm running, you know, an hour late because mm-hmm. the first half of the consultation is the most difficult with a chronic back pain or neck pain patient um, because it's the, it's the sort of unpacking of all of the misconceptions that they had about their back. You know, mm-hmm. um, they'll they'll say, "Look, um, my mum and dad had back pain, so I've got back pain. It's because I'm getting a bit older. I know mm-hmm. I should exercise more. Uh, I've got bulging discs. Mm-hmm. I've got I've got degeneration. I've got arthritis. Um, uh, my, you know, I don't do I don't do any core strength. I don't. Um, I've got a sedentary job." Mm-hmm. or I've got a really physically laborious job. So, you know, take your pick, which one is it? You know, um, and, and often, you know, someone who's overweight uh, will say, yeah, no, I've got to lose a few kilos. But I say, hang on, let's stop there because the last patient I saw was really skinny and they had back pain too. And then mm-hmm. someone who's elderly will say it's because I'm old. And I say, hang on, stop there. The last patient I saw was in their 20s. Okay, so mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense. Um, it's it's not scientifically correct. The the judgments that you're putting, the assertions that you're making uh, as the cause of your pain are wrong. These are associations. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing that is common to all of you is is movement dysfunction, and um, and then and then once you get past those hurdles, because they've they've really been so entrenched. In, in their minds by the industry, that, oh, yeah. that, that those, 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 those ideas um, that completely neglect movement dysfunction have been so entrenched in their brain that it takes a long time to unwind them. And, and sometimes patients actually even get a little bit frustrated. They say, so you're telling me that my, my amazing therapist who I've seen every week for the last five years is, is wrong. I said, well, ask yourself why you've been seeing them every week for the last five years. You know, mm-hmm. if you were seeing them every week for the last five years and they were doing the right thing, you wouldn't know them that well. You, you, <laughs> you would have seen them, you would have seen them for two months and then you'd be cured and you'd never have to see them again. So, so sometimes you've just got to, you've just got to sort of uh, work your way around people's personalities mm-hmm. um, to be able to make them have that light bulb moment. And and once you once you allow the patient to make those connections, they're they're cured. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of coming and seeing our movement therapists, um, you know, at, at our, our center. And after a short period, you know, around eight weeks is our program duration. Eight weeks, um, and we see them, we see them twice a week for one hour. And um, and uh, after eight weeks, they are moving quite well. They're moving wow. quite well and, um, and they can immediately feel like they might not have zero pain. A lot of people do have zero pain after eight weeks, but 
But after eight weeks, they can feel that they are on the correct trend. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's really important. They're, they're on the correct trend line, which means that as they keep moving well, um, the pain slowly gets less and less and less. And how is what the movement therapists are doing, how is that different from what someone might experience at a traditional physical therapy appointment like we might prescribe here for back pain? Well, um, just about every single patient has has been to your conventional mm-hmm. physiotherapist. Mm-hmm. Like you know, when when you drive around your um your local streets and suburbs and, and town, mm-hmm. you know, you, you will see uh different studios that focus on back pain and, and mm-hmm. um whether it be chiropractic therapy, Pilates, uh, they've all done that. And um the one thing that they have never done is being told it's basically what is the definition of good movement? Mm-hmm. So um, uh, that's the that's a really important thing. If you're going to teach someone how to move well, you, you have to have a definition of good movement. <laughs> and if you don't have a definition of good movement, then um, then then how can you teach it? And 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 I've given lectures to um, to physical therapists, and I just say at the beginning, you know put your hand up if you have a definition of good movement and these these people are working in the industry and um mm. not one hand goes up so yeah. that's remember that's what we primarily have to fix right. and yet we don't have a, we don't have a definition so it comes back down to uh um you know how as a you know you would know um uh, being a level one instructor level two instructor how do you teach someone to pick up a barbell? How do you teach someone to swing a kettlebell or do a, a, a nice back squat, a nice front squat, nice wall ball, uh, squat therapy? And, mm-hmm. and those, with, without you even knowing it, as a functional movement or a CrossFit coach, you're, you're sort of, you're instilling the principles of good movement. Uh, for the whole body it's not even mm-hmm. it's not even just the back it's actually their knees their hips yeah. their ankles their shoulders their neck so that's another thing that happens to patients is that they come to see you with back pain they're not worried mm-hmm. about their niggly knee pain or their niggly hip pain because that's minor but mm-hmm. once you've fixed their back pain they go my knee doesn't hurt anymore and my mm-hmm. hips don't hurt anymore I didn't even come to see you for that you're because, saving people a lot of other surgeries too probably down the road well yeah, good movement <laughs> is good movement, right? It's yeah. not like I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you good movement for your back, but it's gonna it's gonna destroy your ankle. Right. That doesn't make sense. That that means you clearly haven't got a mm-hmm. um, you haven't got the right model there. Right. Uh, and by if, the way, if, if they're moving well and adding some intensity, they're also getting metabolically healthy and preventing other diseases too. Yeah. So that's that's what happens down, you know, when mm-hmm. you know how I said the program's eight weeks, that that's kind of what people start to do around week seven, week eight. Mm-hmm. And so they've they, they their symptoms settle down, they're moving well, and and now they start to build capacity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that's the next step. And then going hand in hand with building capacity is that intensity. And and guess what they do at the end of the eight weeks? They go. I love this. I don't. I, I don't want to leave. Um, uh, what can I do now? And so mm-hmm. that's how we started to step into the world of CrossFit in the hospital. Amazing. 
Yes. Yeah. Please as, talk as, about as, that. As, How did you end up opening? Yeah. You have one of the first CrossFit affiliates in a hospital, and now you have multiple affiliates. Yeah, correct? I believe I believe we were the first uh, uh, clinical CrossFit box in a hospital. I know mm-hmm. there's another center um, in the states, um, Kaiser or Kersey or Kersley. Uh, um, Kirby, yes, Kirby, which yeah, I yeah. think they're more um, is like an employee, like a box on their hospital campus, yeah, and a lot yeah. of the employees will use it. Yeah, so so we my 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 our CrossFit Nero CrossFit Nero, that's my waiting room. That's my waiting room for that's patients. Amazing. So so the patients will come in and they'll sign in with my staff, and and then they'll go and sit in the waiting room, mm-hmm. which is the box. The waiting room is a you know three hundred square meter box. Mm-hmm. with a rig and wall balls and ring muscle ups, you know, the rings all there. And patients will come down from the ward after mm-hmm. surgery and they'll be seeing my functional therapist and, and doing hip hinges and good mornings and, you know, um, box squats uh, mm-hmm. and, and wall balls and things like that. And, and these, these people are a few days out of surgery or, um, or maybe not having had surgery, just chronic pain, and they're just coming from home. But they're using this this CrossFit uh, facility in the hospital for their rehabilitation. That's incredible. And, um, uh, and, the, and the, one of the things that they they the, the common thing that they all notice is that they just say, "Well, where are the couches? <laughs> where are the couches?" And um, and that's that's one of the I think one of the early questions is what what's the difference is that there are no couches because <laughs> because if you're trying to teach someone movement, the moment you lay them down on a couch, you've already failed them. Mm-hmm. And every single rehab facility in the community has probably you know numerous couches. And so you know from the get-go, from first principles, that that facility with no open space, like a CrossFit mm-hmm. box, is not going to deliver competent movement therapy. Um, and uh, and the, the other thing, every, every single staff member that I employ to deliver functional therapy is either Olympic weight, an Olympic weightlifter or a crossfitter. I've tried to hire I've tried to hire staff that have not been involved in CrossFit or not passionate about CrossFit mm-hmm. or not passionate about movement and they just cannot do it. Doesn't fit. So so it's almost like when I when I when I put out a job job application mm-hmm. I'm not worried about honors degree in in uh, exercise science or uh, pathophysiology of, of biomechanics or I want to see their resume saying competed in the last three CrossFit Opens. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that's that tells the big you a lot. Goal. That's <laughs> the big goal star for me because I know, I know their mind is focused on biomechanics mm-hmm. and, then, and then I can teach them. It's very easy to teach them the, the rest, sure. all, the, all, of the, all of the clinical stuff after that. Yeah. Well, I think it's so beautiful how – you really are putting into practice when we talk about in CrossFit, this sickness, wellness, fitness continuum, and you have, you know, the ability to take care of patients with surgery, if that's what they need, but you also have the ability to sort of address their root cause with movement, 
um, addressing their movement dysfunction. And then when they get better and they're moving better, they can do start adding intensity and doing CrossFit as a way to stay healthy and prevent themselves from developing those symptoms again. So do you have a lot of patients say after they finish the eight week program, do they then start working out in the box or start doing CrossFit, um, on their own? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, so we sort of out, we outgrew our hospital facility, um, just with patients staying on and becoming athletes. Wow. And so you start, you started to, it started to displace the, the space available for patients. Okay. Um, and, and also you got to remember like when patients come in and they see the, you know, the CrossFit sign and they go, Oh, what, this is dangerous. This is terribly dangerous. My (laughs) son told me, or my, my, my daughter Mm -hmm. told me, don't ever do that. That's great. You know? So unfortunately there's still that stigma associated Mm -hmm. with CrossFit and I don't think that'll ever be stamped out really, but, but um, yeah, that the, the, the patient's, can be um, scared off by seeing an athlete doing mm-hmm. you know, a hundred kilogram back squat or something like that, and mm-hmm. and um, and maybe the failing it or yeah. So mm-hmm. so we then started a second uh, um, CrossFit Neuro um, uh, about you know, three miles down the road mm-hmm. in a one thousand square meter facility, and um, so that now serves uh, as our athlete um, center. But okay. um, it was actually really, really uh, fortunate because when COVID sort of entered the world, we had we had to sort of restrict people coming into our hospital. So we then started using the the, the large facility, okay, which was great. Um, so yeah, and and I'd say I don't know twenty twenty five percent of our current membership of you know just your day in day out CrossFit membership come from a, a clinical background. Wow. So almost every time I go and do a workout at, at our at our box, there'll mm-hmm. be one of my at least one of my patients there. That's amazing. At, le- at least one of my patients and and um you know I I did a session with uh, I did a workout with um a fellow not too long ago and yeah he had a history of 20 years of pain. Okay. And uh and I was just sort of I think it was doing wall balls or something. And I sort of just looked over and, and I just saw him, you know, he's about 45 or so, and I just saw him take his shirt off. <laughs> like, he, here's a fellow who had he'd lost his confidence, has, was struggling in life, mm-hmm. and here he is doing war balls to the intensity that he's got to take his shirt off wow. uh, because he's just really just in the zone and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, he's a CrossFitter now. Yeah. And uh, he no longer considers himself a, a patient. He's now an athlete. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's as you said, it's that that sickness to well continuum that is it's a, it's a natural physiological certainty. It's a mm-hmm. it's a physiological certainty when you eliminate the barriers that restrict health. You know, it's it's almost it's like when when the Titanic hit that iceberg, it's a it was a it was a certainty that that boat was going to sink. Mm-hmm. And the same thing, the same thing with with uh, good movement good nutrition, good sleep mm-hmm. and, 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 and managing stress. Mm-hmm. These are what I refer to as the pillars of health. Mm-hmm. And, and these are the core values of our box uh, and, and, and medical practice. 
you, you give people those four pillars of health and, um, and the body just does incredible things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you layer on a bit of, you layer on some hard work and, and, and consistent training and then you become a, you know, amazing athlete like yourself and stand on the podium two times or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, a, it's amazing what can happen, right? How do, how do you work with your patients on those other factors that are so important, the nutrition and sleep and stress? Um, well, we do. We, I, I network very closely with uh, nutritionists who, mm-hmm. um, who sort of speak from the same textbook. Yep. Um, you know, Professor Tim Noakes, mm-hmm. um, uh, I, uh, Jason Fung. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, these are people that, that I network with, and um, and Gary Torbs. Uh, these are these are sort of like the pioneers of mm-hmm. the modern nutrition education, and um, and and there are there are people with the same mindset locally in town, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I just I just allow them some time with those people. Mm-hmm. Again, it's it's just that it's just just hitting those that that nutrition pillar mm-hmm. and getting people to have that light bulb moment and when they have that light bulb moment the body just there's no there is no human being on the planet that doesn't want to be healthy uh, but there's lots and lots of human beings on the planet that put up barriers to stop their body from being healthy and that's all we have to do the body will just do its thing if you if you eliminate the the barriers that's as a doctor that's all you need to do because the most amazing you're you're dealing with an organism that's got this most amazing healing ability that uh, all you have to do is teach them how to not hurt their body and then the body just does the rest it's amazing yeah when we get out of our own way it's almost a scam isn't it like (laughs) if because the the body's just doing its thing and and we're just telling people okay well don't smoke cigarettes and you'll have healthy lungs you know, maybe minimize the pollution that's around your, your lungs and you'll have healthy lungs. How, how easy is that? Mm-hmm. Um, so we just give people the resources and, um, and direct them where they, where they need to go and, um, uh, and lead, lead by example. All of, mm-hmm. our, all of our coaches speak the same language. And when, when patients hear this from uh, everyone around them, um, it's sort of it's, it's it sets in, and we've just we've, we've got them back on the on the right track to recovery, for sure. And when you get them in the right environment too, I'm sure just being in the environment of, you know, walking in through your waiting room that's a gym and seeing other people there, and then being a part of a box. And, and when you are surrounded by the right people who are, yeah. who are seeing results and who are like you, it makes it much easier to to do the right things and get the the wrong things out of your life so that your body can heal itself. Yeah, yeah. They, they. Uh, that's why we do like to do the um, the classes in groups. Like a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of the industry does these one on one type of um, interventions. You know, mm-hmm. so you go and see your therapist, and you're in a room by yourself with the therapist, and and you know they're they're, they're measuring certain range of motion or flexibility or, um, and and you don't get that communal camaraderie of all mm-hmm. getting better together mm-hmm. and um uh, one of the early early parts of um the the program that we deliver is we're all they're all standing around and and talking about their history 
and they're saying, mm, yeah. you know, I had, I had radio frequency ablation, I've had surgery, I've had injections into my spine, epidural, facet joint blocks, nerve root blocks, all of this, I take this medication and, and, and you can just see everyone going, oh, geez, I do that too. I did, I did that. I did that too. <laughs> and, and often, you know, when you go around the class, there's 200 years of pain. Wow. And then at the end of the class, at the end of the eight weeks, you know, they're going, why, why didn't anyone, <laughs> why didn't anyone give me this five years ago, 10 years right, ago? Right, right. Um, so it's really, it's fantastic that there are, you know, people like yourself who are um, attuned in to, to preventative medicine and, and preventative health, because if we get that message out there uh, widely enough, we will, we'll sort of put ourselves out of business. You'll, we'll put surgeons out of business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that sounds like it'd be a success for you if, if that happened as, as weird as it sounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. one of, you know, I'm a member of uh, uh, our spine society in Australia and, um, you know, um, I, I sort of say, well, it, we, we could all be put out of business by effective rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the moment, um, there's just too much rehabilitation that is not hitting the nail on the head. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with um, someone doing Pilates or core strengthening or, or going to see an annual therapist and receiving some adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, if you don't hit that fundamental nail that's sticking up out of the floorboards mm-hmm. and you're sort of missing it all the time by doing these other things, then you 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 won't improve and and the the global the global sort of ubiquitous problem of back pain will will continue to remain and, and it it's currently statistics are showing that um that the prevalence is doubled it's wow. doubled over the last 25 years so even though these facts and figures are right in staring us in the face none of the industry is sort of turning around saying well hang on, we're doing a really really ordinary job here mm-hmm. um and you know i've submitted a few articles to physical therapy journals and and just trying to put this forward into the and it's really difficult because mm-hmm. when i hear back from the editors they go they sort of write back and say so you're saying that um such and such therapy which is 80 percent of our readership mm-hmm. is is of min- limited value well, it's well, hard to hear yeah Read it how you want, but it's you know. Do you want to be accountable for your outcomes, or or do you want to just keep paying off the uh, the mortgage? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it's it's. I'm never surprised when the editors say to me that we won't publish your article. Wow. Um, and so it, it has to happen from the ground up. A little bit mm-hmm. of a grassroots approach, um, and people, the the patients are the biggest sounding boards. The patients are the biggest advocates for functional therapy, just like, just like CrossFitters are the biggest advocates for CrossFit. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, they know, they know what it, it does for yeah, them. Yeah, it's life-changing. They, they know what it does for them. Um, but uh, when, you're, when you're going against the grain, when you're going against the industry um, uh, trend, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's quite difficult. And, and we, hard, we, yeah. know that, we know that with, with diet, we know that with nutrition. It's it's challenging because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of commercial and 
vested interests uh, mm-hmm. around food um and so you know why isn't why 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 isn't everybody metabolically healthy in fact it's almost the opposite there's more people right. metabolically unhealthy, unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Than, than healthy you think it'd be easy right you think you think it'd be easy to make people healthy uh, but yet half the population is uh, diabetic or pre-diabetic that's mm-hmm. that's insane 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 and like you talked about so many special interests and not enough people really looking out for patient or really looking out for addressing the root cause um like you have and and i think you know what you're doing is so inspiring too because you're taking someone who has one specific problem a back pain and you're addressing that but you're also making them so much healthier like we talked about in so many other ways that maybe are going to prevent future problems down the road or maybe are going to reverse their diabetes or metabolic syndrome or improve their knee pain and you know it's it's like it's just a shame that people have to get to the point where they have back pain that they need to go see a doctor for before they can get that um that information you know that it's something that we should really be able to help people with in a primary care setting or outside of that um so that like you said the majority of people should be metabolically healthy and free of pain yeah absolutely and and primary care is where it starts isn't it um you know, it's it, it's unusual that uh, a, a neurosurgeon has to talk about carbohydrates, right? And, in, and I bet insulin. there's very few of you who are doing that regularly. Yeah, there are very, and 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 you know, I have meetings with uh, my hospital executives when I when I walk through the ward and and I I, I see my patients who might who are already obese and diabetic being fed chocolate cake. Hmm. I say, hang on, this is a hospital. You do realise this is a hospital, Mm. uh, an an institute that should hold up health principles, Mm. and this is the diet that you're prescribed, that comes out of the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just some profound block that the world has to... Health and, and uh, it is our responsibility, Julie. It is uh, we, we're the we're the 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 um the guidance for the mm-hmm. the world as as doctors. And if if we don't see that, then who will? You mm-hmm. know? Right. And I, I think I think we all need to sort of take a step back as clinicians and go, okay, w- what are we doing wrong? Rather than go. Rather than say, oh, we're amazing, we can do this high-tech surgery and we've got chemotherapy and we've got these new cancer genes and vaccines and we've got this and that high-tech stuff, right? Let's have a look at what we're doing really badly and Mm -hmm. and say, well, truly, 50% of the world is diabetic or obese. We have, our report card is very, very poor. Uh, and and take accountability because if we don't actually start to do that as clinicians then we are we're really not doing a good job they're just not doing a good job and and this is part of the this is part of that is recognizing and taking accountability so well you know we we, we should be able to do a lot better um, so true. but it's almost so too true. simple don't you think it's almost it's almost too simple that the solutions are too too fundamentally simple for people to for people to sort of go, oh, okay, is that all I need to do? Is it? You mean I I don't need to have a, a, a super expensive, dangerous operation, or I don't need to count calories, or I don't need to have this 
you know, meal plan that I've got to adhere to and, and, and plug into my telephone, mobile phone app every day. Mm-hmm. No, no, just, just eat you know, whole food. <laughs> Real food, and, yeah. <laughs> and your body will get, your body will get better. Right. Um, so we love to overcomplicate yeah. things, I think, as humans. We want to make it more difficult than it has to be or we want the most cutting edge new thing when in reality, most of these things are the simple solutions that have been around since the beginning. Yep. Yep. The simple solutions. That's it. Keep it, keep it, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, you know, there's a, there's a principle called Occam's razor principle. Yes. And, and if you have a very simple solution to a problem, it's going to, it's, it's highly likely to work. Uh, whereas if you start to have complex and um, uh, complex algorithms to follow, then it's, it's probably not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's, these are you know these are tenets of of medicine that go back um, hundreds hundreds of years to to uh, Hippocrates. Uh, you, one of the Hippocrates um, uh, scriptures was uh, "Food is medicine." Mm-hmm. You know, um, and if you're talking about pharmaceutics, the 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 safest, best, no side effects pharmaceutics is good food. Good food, that's uh, for sure. And then, you know, you can put all that other stuff in the rubbish bin because yeah. you just don't need it. And I see people taking supplements and, oh, I've got to have my extra extra vitamins and this and that. And I say, well, if you're eating a good diet and you're moving well and you're out in the sunshine, which is what we're supposed to be doing, um, <laughs> you don't need any you, <laughs> you don't need any supplements, right? And you're sleeping mm-hmm. well. So um, start with the basics. Start with the basics. Well, you are obviously working on so many exciting things and there's a lot of work to do as you alluded to just to to bring this to more people but what are you most excited about when you wake up in the morning right now um it it's it was all it's always exciting to to hear the stories from patients talking about their their life transformations like that mm-hmm. that's always exciting to hear and, and we get a lot of cards and emails mm-hmm. and, and and gratitude um, but it's no longer a surprise. Mm-hmm. It's no longer a, in the beginning when we started to have this type of core value with our with our, uh, our, our business model. Um, it was like, oh my god, how did that happen? But I didn't expect that to happen. And and now it's sort of a, a, a regular thing yeah. that it's it's. But it, it's still exciting, and that that you know, every time I go to work, um, mm-hmm. and every time I go to the to the box and see patients, it's that 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 sort of keeps me motivated and keeps me inspired. Is it's really mm-hmm. it's really the patient outcomes, and you know, it's a we have a really wonderful community at CrossFit Neuro. I'm sure all boxes do, but there's something very special about um, there's something very special about the fact that. Uh, a huge cohort of our patients have a uh, membership of patients. Yeah. That's quite, I think that's quite I'm unique. Sure. I would love, I would love for more box owners. Um, and I know, I know on CrossFit physicians, there are a lot of doctors that sort of are involved in, in boxes. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how many of them own boxes, but I, th- I, I really, I think that's kind of the way forward in modern medicine is, is this functional? Mm-hmm. Is this functional medicine approach um, where we focus on where we focus on those core values? And you know, just imagine in every town, you know, just one clinical CrossFit box. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. The way the way that that could exponentially permeate through society, where you're focusing on movement, nutrition, and the sleep and stress, just comes all hand in hand with that. Um, geez, you know, very powerful. The, it's incredibly powerful, and I think that yeah. was I think that may have been one of the visions or dreams of of uh, the foregone owner of CrossFit. Um, I, I really hope uh, I hope Eric has the same vision. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't. I, I haven't sort of been involved enough with Eric to, to see that. I really maybe you, maybe you can comment. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I think he definitely does, and I think we're going to see a big focus on that. Um, I think that that is it's one of the things, like you said, that makes CrossFit so why CrossFit is so special, and is that we we have always been focused more on the big picture of health and getting people healthy and community. And it is such a huge opportunity to be able to make that connection between the clinical and then the recreational exercise. Yeah. 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 You've got a, have you, are you going to start a box? I'm are not you, personally going to start a box. I don't think so. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> it'd be one, it'd be At least not right now. Um, Who knows in the future? Yeah, no, it's one of the best things that I ever did with with my practice. You know, that's amazing. Neurosurgical, neurosurgical practice was to integrate um, a functional training center, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's very very satisfying. I, I think you know my colleagues look at me, you know, my conventional neurosurgeons go, what what's David doing? What what's this crazy <laughs> stuff that he's doing? But you know what? They're now starting to refer patients to me. Yeah, they see your results. And they're now starting to, you know, so if they do, if they do perform a surgery on a patient, um, then they go, oh, you, you better go back and see. You better go to this other neurosurgeon. And so it starts to rate. Why didn't you send me to him in the first place? <laughs> um, so it's a start. Um, it's a start. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's it's, it's fantastic. That's great. Yeah. Well, I have three questions I usually ask at the end of the podcast to wrap up. The first one Ooh. is, what are the three things that you do personally on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Um, three things. Well, you, you know, you know my core values. You mm-hmm. know, the quality movement, Pillars. quality sleep, quality, uh, quality nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I would say for me, it's that consistency. Uh, mm-hmm. like consistency is the hardest thing like yeah every day just go okay I don't need to do anything amazing in my training today but I'm going to turn up mm-hmm. uh, and um, that's one of the hardest things uh, to be to to stick with is that consistent mindset mm-hmm. consistency with your diet consistency with your movement um, uh, I suppose the, hard, the, the thing that I'm worst at is managing stress and sleep. So Those are tough ones. Yeah, it's always a, a balance. It's a, it's, a, it's a converse answer to your question, but um, that's what I need to work on. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great because that was uh, going to be my next question. <laughs> it's one thing you're working yeah, on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I need to work on my uh, my chest bar, butterfly pull, butterflies. Okay. That's, 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 oh, God, I wish I could get those. I know that's going to come up in the next. I know that's going to come up in the next open, and it's going to be, it's going to be where chest I, bars. <laughs> what, what, why? Why are chest bars so much harder than regular butterfly pull-ups? I don't. Know. I just don't, I don't know. know. And and I've got to get that right. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and and I suppose um, there's always temptations. You know, there's always mm-hmm. temptations to uh, to indulge a little bit, but um, 
but I think uh, if you 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 earn, you need to earn that privilege to have those indulgences. You know, mm-hmm. talk about the eighty twenty rule. Yeah. Um, the eighty the eighty twenty rule works from a position of health. Mm-hmm. The eighty the 20 rule doesn't work from a position of disease. Once once you uh, once you earn that that uh, once you regain that health with the hundred one hundred rule, mm-hmm. now you've earned the privilege to apply the eighty twenty rule. Um, That's great. I love thinking about yeah. it like that. Yeah, and so um, you know, I think uh, m- maintaining that. Um, keeping it nice and tight with that 80 20 rule, not letting mm-hmm. it slip mm-hmm. sort of into a 50 50 50 right is, is one of those things there's that, that consistency to, yeah. again just being consistent with that yeah. percentage yeah. yeah all right well you already answered my second question so the third one is what does a healthy life look like to you um starts it starts in the home it starts with my my family um my 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 two children just uh, waking up every day and, and having brekkie with them and and setting setting the day off with mm-hmm. positive mindset and um, smiles and uh, that's that's kind of what drives drives me is is just that happiness at home mm-hmm. and um, and then it just sort of flows flows out from there I suppose with with everything else and then and then and then coming home to it as well you know that's that's what it's all about is, is that quality of life. And I think I can't, you can't beat that when you've got a happy, happy home. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's beautiful. Mm. Well, thank Mm. you so much for this conversation and thank you for all the work that you are doing and the example that you're setting and how, you know, the, the model that you have, I know is already inspiring people all over the world. And I hope that we see this on a more widespread basis so that we, this becomes our standard of care and not something that's an exception. So Thank Absolutely. you so much for, for all the work you're doing. Yep. With, with collaboration, similar mindsets, people like yourself with a, with a really wide platform, uh, you know, pursuing health. It's fantastic. I watched quite a few of your shows. So oh, you're doing you. a fantastic, you're doing a fantastic job as well, Julie. So congratulations on that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people.